nigga live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. Winning game four, at least pride-wise, made me feel good because you don't ever want to get swept. I'm indifferent to him, whether or not he signs it. I'll be uh, hitting Milwaukee for the next five years. If you ask me, can the Bucks win game five? I put it at 40% confidence, yes. To think that, that a season is championship or bust is is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen. You can get game six. You can steal it. Championship or bust. Winning game six and seven. Championship or bust. I don't think they're going to win the whole series, but... There is no enjoyment with this team. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. Joined, as per usual, by Kyle Carr, and not as per usual, by Van Fayaz, who is joining us, filling in for Riley this week, who is, who is very busy studying for a work certification exam thing that hopefully we all wish him luck on, and hopefully he passes. But we are excited to have Van here, and uh, as is custom, how are you doing, fellas? I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, was feeling pretty sick last night. Um, yesterday was running a fever, but it's not covid Tested negative, uh, and I feel pretty good this morning. My temperature's way down, so I'm okay. Yeah, I can't complain too much. I was outside yesterday in the pouring rain for Ford Madison's away jersey reveal, so got to be a model for that, and that was fun. Um, otherwise, the child has a cold, so I'm wondering if I'm going to get said cold in the next day or two. Hopefully not, but I don't like my odds. He's coughing and sneezing everywhere on me, so it's great. <laughs> Wow. Well, one team that did go a little bit cold this week was the Milwaukee Bucks, who are now uh, losers of three straight without Giannis. Giannis is out now. He's he's doubtful for the – we're recording this on Sunday. He's doubtful for the Magic game. By the time you hear this, he probably won't have played in that Magic game. So he'll be out for the longest stretch of his career now. He's out, been out four straight games, which is the longest that he's ever had in terms of consecutive games that he's been out. Bucks started off the week – in Golden State, they lose 122 to 121. Drew Holiday has 29.6 assists. Chris has 28.7 assists. Uh, but Steph Curry really stole the show as the game wound down. 41 points from him, 14 of 21 shooting. Bucks blow a, a 10 point lead with four minutes left to go or outscored 16 to 5 in the final minutes. Obviously, for all of these games this week, they don't have Giannis. So there's kind of a grain of salt with all of them. You know, huge ramifications and takeaways are tough to do. But what did you see in that Warriors game, Kyle, that was frustrating, encouraging, et cetera? I think in terms of encouraging it, Jeff Teague looked pretty good off the bench. One of the th- I went on a rant a couple weeks ago about buyout guys and how most of them are washed, and it really doesn't matter. But Jeff Teague did pretty well, 15 points. Can't complain. He's already seemingly done better than DJ Augustine. It was good to see Drew and Chris still be aggressive despite not having Giannis out there to kind of take the load off of them. They're still both of them pretty aggressive. The thing that was frustrating though, was that fourth quarter it, you, you knew there was going, that other shoe was going to drop just based off of how they're playing. It seemed as though I, I think even without Giannis that this Bucks team is still better than the Warriors team. And yes, Steph Curry did have a really, really good night, but you would still expect, you know, even if he has a good night, you can still handle that. You could still win relatively with some ease and just how they that fourth quarter kind of turned out and especially those final four minutes it's one of those where 
you, you kind of feel like that was a missed opportunity. You kind of feel like they let that game go. And this isn't the first time where the Bucks have had, you know, a fourth quarter lead that they've kind of slipped and lost handle on the game as it got closer to the end. Yeah. Um, one of the things I noticed towards the end of the both games, uh, both games uh, early in the week. So the Sacramento game and then the, the uh, Bucks, or I'm sorry, the Warriors game is, uh, well, there were three games in a row that the Bucks basically blew a fourth quarter lead. Um, I think, uh, yeah, because the Mavericks game was the next game after. Yeah, um, it only you know they only they got one win uh, in Sacramento, but in each instance um, down the stretch, I didn't have so much of a problem with the defense, especially against Golden State, because it's Steph Curry. Like, what are you gonna do at a certain point? I mean, the guy is one of the best scorers and shooters of all time. But what was more worrisome to me in both of those was just the ineptitude of the half-court offense because um, they were being outscored, you know, they were blowing 10-point leads, so they were being outscored over multiple minute stretches. Uh, I went back and watched the uh, last five minutes of each each of those games, and uh, it was very ISO-heavy with Drew and Chris. Uh, In the Golden State game, uh, I started going away from 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 uh, from Drew. I'm sorry, from Chris. I, I think I can't quite remember. They were kind of alternating, uh, and you know, you don't have Giannis in either of these circumstances. But protecting a late lead in the fourth quarter, I think going to ISO plays is not uncommon in the NBA uh, with your best players as you try to close out wins. But the Bucks are not a great ISO team, and Giannis is not really an ISO player. Um, I mean, when Giannis initiates the offense, he's going to drive, and he'll probably kick if he is being stymied with the wall. But uh, the other two guys, especially Chris, he's had a lot of success in isolation situations over the years. But lately, he hasn't been. So they weren't really running any plays. It was just uh, quick possessions, usually with uh, Chris or Drew Holiday, uh, just trying to get a shot up or get a bucket, and they weren't succeeding too much. So I think that was one of the major issues in terms of fourth quarter execution with the losses lately. That makes sense. Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting because I I think it's been – this whole season has – I would say been drastically more about the defensive changes. Those are all the kinds of things that we've wanted to see moving away from the zone drop and the switching and all those kind of things. I do think that has obscured a little bit of the fact that when the Bucks in the last couple postseasons have really, really struggled to score down the stretch and we've, we've seen their offense stall out. If, if Giannis is stonewalled and then Chris isn't able to get something done, uh, I mean, obviously, in, in these two games, they didn't have Giannis being able to do that and, and kick out as a third option. But um, Drew Holiday, of course, he looked really good to start the fourth against the Warriors, was hitting a lot of shots, but then definitely, like you were saying, Van, faltered down the stretch. Chris Middleton, we saw him missing shots late. Andrew Wiggins blocked the the final shot at the at the end, obviously, which was which was frustrating. Um, but I think I, I think you make a great point that 
what, you know, what was the what was the sort of platonic ideal of what we wanted this Bucks offense to be late in the game? It was that Clippers possession where they pass the ball around and you know they, it's it's moving all around the arc and then eventually they, it opens it up to a dunk. A lot of times that's really not going to happen that often. You really don't see that often in the NBA. But just the sheer lack of any sort of movement and then the reliance on on Drew and Chris to try and get it done, it did seem like it it felt really difficult. Kyle, especially in comparison to watching someone like Steph who makes it look so easy, it's tough to watch that in comparison in comparison to, you know, whatever Drew and Chris are going to be doing. Yeah, I, I mean, the one thing with Steph is that's always been his kind of a bit like that's been something that, yes, he is a great shooter, but it's how he can get himself in positions to get those shots off that has always stood out both him personally and within the offense that Steve Kerr has designed for them. So it's one thing when you can do it on your own ability, but you also have the coach to do it. While with Milwaukee, it's kind of that. That's kind of the question: Can they do it on their own? Can Bud create plays? We've seen Bud do it, though. We've seen Bud. You know, as much as we deride the play, it does get the goal accomplished most of the time. Of you get Chris Middleton open and take that final shot. So I think it's just a lot of these guys. It's not really Drew's thing. Drew can kind of create his own shot with you know having that step back, especially. Chris kind of has that ability to go on to tough shot express, but when it turns out the off ball movement, that's been something that they've really struggled with. And I don't know how much of that more can Bud really try to say, okay, well, here's the play we're going to design. Here's what we can do. And it just seems like when that, you don't have that gravitational force that Giannis is where even if you sag off of Giannis a little bit, Giannis can make that pass or Giannis can still take that three point shot. Even if it's not the best shot, he can still take it. It's still, it's like that gravity. You allows others on the Bucks to kind of get those, get a little bit more open off the ball. Yeah. I, I mean, that Warriors game, it was frustrating because it's a missed opportunity. The The Mavericks game still felt like a little bit of a missed opportunity to me, even though the final score was 116 to 101. It felt like they really, really let the string pull away from them late in that one. Um, and, you know, Dante goes for 22, Drew and Chris only combined for 27 combined and Luca has 27 on his own. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about how the game kind of got out of hand late. Porzingis had 26 bucks are outscored 36 to 17 in the fourth. And just like you were saying, Van down the stretch Mavericks were able to create offense real easily. The bucks just faltered. And, and certainly Chris Middleton going six of 27 was an anomaly, but an incredibly frustrating anomaly in the moment. Yeah. And uh, one that, really affected the outcome of the game. Um, I think it was at about the eight minute mark where, uh, let's see, I think the Mavs had called a timeout and they put in Porzingis. Uh, They put him in for the rest of the game. He immediately sank a three, I think, of the next possession. He sank one, two. Um, I don't remember what the score was at that point. I want to say the Bucs were... I think it was single digits, probably the Bucks lead. Um, I don't really think that they ever got it up into the double digits against the Mavs, but uh, it was it was frustrating to see because Porzingis is a dude who's hurt them from deep before, um, especially that that loss they had in 2019 at the end of the win streak. Um, I think the it was like December of 2019. They like they were going for what 19 straight, I think it was. Um, I don't, I, I, the, the issue without Giannis is you don't have a really good 
Porzingis stopper. Like you don't have a, a great stopper for an athletic big man um, when you don't have your athletic big man. Uh, and not only do the Bucks, you know, are, are they missing their star, but they're they're really short on front court depth right now because of PJ Tucker's injury, um, and just not having. Uh, they were short without Bobby Portis for a week or so, and I think it was even worse then because uh, Brook Lopez was you know kind of the only big man on the roster at that time. Uh, and they don't have a, a true, another true center on the roster outside of Brooke. So I thought it was really obvious in the Mavericks game, especially in the fourth quarter, how much they needed Giannis uh, and PJ Tucker um, throughout uh, switching on to guys like, like Porzingis, like Maxi Kleber, um, maybe uh, even down to guys like Dorian Finney-Smith or, or, um, I don't know. Dwight Powell wasn't isn't much of an offensive threat. I'm just trying to think of the other big men on the Mavericks who gave them trouble. But it's mostly Porzingis and and Claver and uh, yeah, the lack of uh, anyone who could get out to the perimeter to to check those guys when um, maybe you know the Mavericks were were penetrating uh, when Luca was driving and kicking. Uh, I think that was a major problem in that game. Yeah, it was. 8.02 left in the game. Bobby Portis had made a dunk, and that's when the Bucks were up four. And that's when Porzingis came in right after the timeout, hits a three. Bucks missed a couple shots after that. Porzingis hits another deep three, and all of a sudden the Mavs are up two, and they didn't really look back after that. And it, it was tough because there were definitely some things where the Bucks' offense – it was never that fluid, it felt like. It, it felt as though, you know, early on, Brooke was able to get some shots to go in. Dante was able to get some shots to go in. Bobby Portis was able to, like, it seemed like early on, a lot of the Buck starters were able to kind of get their shot. But as the game carried on, it that just started disappearing. And it didn't help that they didn't really get any contribution off their bench. You know, Pat Connaughton was in 20-something minutes. And while he was a plus 13, he only had four points. You know, Jeff Teague came in for about 16 minutes. He has six points. Four of those were free throws. So he was really taking advantage of the free throw line. Brent Ford doesn't hit any threes. Thanasis didn't really do as much. I mean, offensively, defensively, he was pestering living hell out of Porzingis and Doncic, which I thought was hilarious. And maybe we could talk about that later on. But <laughs> it felt as though other than Dante, no one on the Bucks' offense could really – consistently have it going for them all four quarters. And I mean, Chris Middleton going six and 27 is rough. It was kind of the, and none of those were free throws, which I think has a bigger impact because the fact that his game isn't really someone's, it's not like a James Harden. It's not, it's not even like Doncic where he needs to get to the free throw line to be efficient. Like normally he's pretty good at getting those shots and getting those shots to go in. That wasn't happening. Drew Holiday wasn't getting any of those shots. It Neither of them had free throws. It was just the lack of – it kind of goes back to what we were saying, just that lack of being able to get themselves out of the hole or the rut that they were in. I mean, 17 points in the fourth quarter is tough. And once the Mavericks got that final lead after the timeout, it, you kind of had that feeling that they weren't going to come back. 
not because of lack of effort, but just because the shots weren't going in and the Mavericks were able to get going with their shots between Porzingis. Doncic was able to hit a couple threes. Uh, Kleber was kind of efficient. It, it was just kind of tough to watch as they did a really good job on everyone else besides Porzingis and Doncic. You know, Josh Richardson doesn't shoot the ball that well. Tim Hardaway Jr., who normally has efficient games against the Bucks, he didn't shoot the ball that well. Finney Smith didn't shoot the ball. Like, none of the other Mavericks shot the ball that well, so you would think that you did what you needed to defensively, but on offense, you couldn't get anything from your two best players, and you couldn't get anything from your bench. want to add uh, Pat Connaughton. I think he made a three on Friday night, but he was, uh, prior to that, he came into that game 0 for his last 14 from deep. So, uh it was it was tough. Uh, it was tough to see. Um, I mean, the regression we kind of everyone kind of expected, but it really hit him hard over the last several games. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that is for sure. It, it, the streak was going to come to an end, and it, it finally <laughs> came to an end here. Mm-hmm. This was this one was this one was an interesting game. I think in comparison to some of the past Mavericks games, uh, they were switching quite a bit in this one. In past Mavericks games. You could really see Luca really abusing the zone drop to an insane amount between his floaters. He still kicked out in this one. Obviously, he was abusing switches when he was able to. Um, but I think you said it, Kyle. I think they did a pretty solid job defensively uh, in comparison to some of the past times. I, I think the the offensive rating won't really reflect that given some of the late scoring that the Mavericks did. But for the most part, I thought they were in it. And the frustrating part um, for me of the the Chris Middleton performance which I mean he's sometimes he's going to make those those shots and obviously this one was was a, to a crazy degree but I still do wish he would shoot just a, f- a few more of those from 3 if he's having trouble really making anything um I love how easy he makes some of his crazy moves look but when it's not going in it, it really makes it look he makes it look really tough when it maybe doesn't have to be that tough uh for him occasionally I think it's hard when, you know, he's when he's trying to be the fulcrum of the offense. But, you know, on, on the promising side, Van, at the very least, he did keep shooting, which is something we haven't always seen from from Chris Middleton. Is sometimes he'll go into a shell. But he did keep shooting in this one. Kept missing, but did keep shooting. Shooter shoot. Uh I I liked that I, I do like that kind of stick to itiveness from a player. <clears throat> but I was at the point uh, when I looked at the the box score, some point during the fourth quarter, probably, I just saw like, wait, Chris Mid- Chris Milton is is five for twenty five or something. I don't know what I saw exactly, uh, but it, it it took me by surprise. Uh, I knew he was having a rough night, but <clears throat> I didn't realize he had taken that many shots. Uh, and like like Kyle said, the the uh, the inefficiency of everything was probably like the lack of the lack of free throws and uh, the lack of an outside shot. I think he hit one three, um, but the just the, the 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 shot selection he was taking was like you said, Adam. A lot of these you know floaters and kind of in between shots that aren't really in his bag as much as you know uh, just a, even a mid range J like which is a a good look for him. Um, so. At a certain point, I almost think, you know, you, you, you got to, like, you have to defer a bit uh, to teammates, even though there wasn't really anyone in that game outside of Dante 
who was hitting shots. And if, you know, if, if, if he's not able, if Chris Milton is not able to get the shots that he wants, the shots that he's good at, um, why is he taking shots that he's not as proficient with? Like, like a floater or, you know, like a little, like seven or eight foot jump hook or something like that. I, I, I don't know exactly. I can't, I can't remember all his misses. Cause there were, so there were a lot. Them. There were too yeah. many. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember exactly all the shots he was bricking, but um, when it's not a high percentage look for him, uh, I'd like to see him distribute a bit more uh, in those situations, which is, been something he's been so good at or he was so good at early in the season just like getting the ball around it's kind of in the this middle swoon of the season he hasn't been uh he hasn't been distributing as well as he did before but i think a game like that would be a good opportunity for him to look together people involved yeah i think if he was if Giannis was out there and chris was still taking all those shots and missing them i would be furious because you clearly don't have it going just give the ball to Giannis. or if drew was playing better i think what made it tougher to properly because while i was very frustrated with chris and all his misses it just felt like he just couldn't get anything going normally in the past yeah he would have shut down he would have just deferred he would not have even tried seeking out a shot so it's good to see that he did that and it's just one of those where we this is why we pay Chris all this money as well you know he's got to be that guy that's going to hit these shots he's got to be that guy that when the offense isn't going he's got he's got to be the one maybe that's going to be Drew moving forward but what we have always known is if the Bucks offense stalls you get the ball Chris Milton he's going to find a way and that just didn't happen and that's where the big debate on the hellscape that is Bucks Twitter was going on <laughs> You had one half that was like, Chris is absolutely garbage. And then you had the other half that's like, guys, he had one bad game. Why you dunk it on him? It's like you can properly criticize that Chris had a bad game. Chris needs to – this is why you pay Chris all this money is so that he can step up in moments like this, and he failed to do so. But also recognize he did try. He did – he was more aggressive than he normally is. And if – someone else on the Bucks roster not named Dante was consistently hitting their shots, we might not have had as much of an issue. This game would have been closer. Who knows what would have happened? I don't know. It It's tough. It, looking back, it's kind of tough to properly critique the game because it was like kind of like what we've been saying. You take those shots. You have to. But the shot, select, the shot selection could have been better. The decisions could have been better. And it was just more the how early in the shot clock some of those shots were. I think that was also the tough part because he was taking them, you know, when there's still 15 plus seconds left. And it's like, okay, maybe we could have made one extra pass. Maybe you could have slowed it down a little bit. Yeah. the, the I mean, I definitely don't want to do the Chris Middleton debate because whatever. But um, I, I think all that needs to be said is I, I don't feel like he's in any sort of realistic discussion for all NBA this season at all. His poor 36 numbers are down which is as he should be last year. He was in those discussions. I thought realistically, ergo, he was playing up to the contract this year. He's not doing quite as well. And if, if you look at, if you, if you look, just look at his mid range shooting, it's really good as it's always been. Uh, when I checked the numbers like a week or two ago, they, he was around 44% from there, which is good. That's like, you know, upper 
15% or whatever of the people who shoot from there a lot. Last year, he was like second behind Chris Paul. So he was insanely good from there last year. So he's dipping a little. It's frustrating. But, you know, this this one just exacerbated the people who are frustrated with Chris Middleton. Just gives them a good excuse to say why they're really frustrated. There are always going to be people frustrated with Chris Middleton. He could. Yeah. <laughs> he could He could be finals MVP and people would still be <laughs> with Chris Middleton. Bucks yeah, were gonna find that, a way to make it a negative because mm-hmm. well, yeah. why didn't we give it to Giannis or Drew or why you know we still got to trade Dante, <laughs> we still got to trade Brook Lopez. Any concerns, Van, with the offensive rebounding? Those were those felt like a big storyline in both the Golden State game and the Dallas game, and it certainly it that seemed to be that was highlighted on the broadcast a lot. Those were very frustrating aspects of these last you, couple games. You just you just triggered me, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I. Anytime, uh, I, I don't know if there's, uh, you know, there's probably not a statistic for this, um, and there's probably not a good way to track this other than checking, like, the play-by-play of every uh, game book in the <laughs> NBA, but uh, any second-chance point that results in a, a three-point shot is um, just an absolute backbreaker for, for in, in a lot of game situations. Even if it's you know, if if that cuts a a a thirteen point lead to a ten point lead, like that's a it's it's one of those things that's a really big swing because you get an extra possession and you get a, a max value bucket out of it. Um, and I think the Bucks. So I, the Bucks are a very good defensive rebounding team. They they have been ever since Bud took over. Um, and I I in recent games. I've seen more issues crop up on the defensive boards than I did kind of in the middle chunk of the season. If like, if we look at, if we maybe the first, I don't know, dozen or so games of the year, 20 games, um, I was seeing this, then I wasn't seeing it for a while. Now I'm seeing it a lot more uh, is when there, you know, there is a, a, a ball that's up for grabs off the, off the glass. Um, it seems like, seems like very few people on the Bucks are able to just 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 very like authoritatively corral a rebound. Um, in fact, uh, obviously Giannis is one of those guys who can. Uh, and I think one of the other guys who's really good at that uh, is Pat Connaughton. I mean, I, I'm starting to think Pat Connaughton is... Mm, he's one of, I mean, he's one of the best few rebounders on the team. I don't, I don't know where I'd put him in that pecking order, but he's he's a, an exceptionally good rebounder uh, relative to his size and his role. But uh, a lot of guys just try. I think on the Bucks, they're trying to bat the ball out, like they're trying to bat the ball to a maybe maybe they figure that you know Drew Holiday is looping around there or something like that, and he can then get the ball going up the court. Because maybe they want to get out and transition. Um, that's a you know that's that's something that they've always loved to do under Bud too. Is just off a defensive rebound, just very quickly uh, go out and transition to try to get a quick bucket. Um, but the the caveat of that is you know the when balls are being batted around and maybe going out towards the perimeter, the other team is more likely to receive the benefits of that. Um, so I've been seeing a lot more of that lately where, um, no one is really, 
even if uh, it's it's hard for me to judge sometimes on, on TV uh, just because of maybe the camera angle or something, because it looks like a lot of these balls. It's like, well, why aren't you just grabbing them with two hands? Um, why are you trying to tip this around a bit? Um, and I, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm looking at it from a vantage point where it's like, okay, this is not something that I should be expecting of these players, but I, I know they can rebound. Uh, we know the Bucks are a good rebounding team. And when they give up really big games, like we've seen in the past few weeks, like the Clippers game, it was a prime example of just really having trouble on the defensive glass. Uh, that's one of the things that always comes to mind. It's just, uh, it's just not, not being uh, really authoritative. Like I said, with just grabbing boards. Um, and then to another extent, just effort, like, you know, not going after loose balls. I think it was, I can't remember which game it was, but there was someone who almost just got there, got completely pantsed on a, uh, a defensive rebound who, you know, it was, it was sort of just coming softly off the glass to him and an opposing player was just running up behind him and was about to just absolutely snatch that board away from him. Uh, just because of pure effort and like the differential and effort between that buck and that opposing player. There was a moment. I don't know if it was in the Mavs. It was also recent where Dante tried going for rebound. Dante and Pat Connaughton both tried grabbing the rebound. Oh, that was terrible. And then they lost (laughs) it out of bounds. I don't remember what game it was. I think it was the Mavs game. I I think it was, I think it was the Mavs game too. Yeah. But that was just like, Oh Guys, come on. Yeah, I, I, you need to do laps after that. Yeah, that, that is something that I'm sure you, you are doing some kind of sprinting after. But <laughs> I think the problem with that is, like, you have Brooke Lopez, who, while he probably is capable, he's a very capable rebounder, he's mainly there to box guys out and shield it away so that others can get it. And if you have Giannis, Giannis is able to clean that up. Dante, Pat, those are probably the only two other ones that are, like, they're going to go for that rebound, while everyone else is kind of a... If it falls to them, great. If it doesn't, we don't know. And I think I think that's the weird part is the lack of aggressively trying to go for it. As you were saying, it was just like a, well, we, we box our guy out. So if we box him out, the ball will just like comfortably land to us or we can tip it out and get in transition. It's like, no, you still have to grab the ball two hands. You don't – it's hurting them more in that – a lot of the times it's it is off of a three. So they already have their players around the perimeter. The ball gets tipped out, comes the the opposing team, they get the offensive rebound. They can either put back up a three or they can attack the rim because all of a sudden you have four defenders scrambling to figure out where it's going. So that I don't know, maybe with Giannis being there that fixes some of the issues. Maybe you know, PJ Tucker coming in that'll fix the issues, but they are allowing a lot of offensive rebounds the last few games, and those offensive rebounds are hurting them at the worst time. I'm not going – I think they allowed 15 against the Mavs, 12 against the Warriors, and then against the Hornets it was 13. And then Cody Zeller had like seven, like six or seven of them by himself. It was just like, okay, guys, come on. You have to grab these rebounds. You cannot continuously just allow the ball to squirm around and – give these teams second chance points. 
Yeah, in the aggregate, they're still pretty good. They're ranked eighth. They're at twenty three point eight percent, which is not nearly as good as they were last year, which was twenty point eight percent. I think a lot of it you can chalk up to the the switching defensive scheme. The zone drop lends itself incredibly well to defensive rebounding, but nonetheless, very frustrating. Another game that I, I'm not really sure I can say it was frustrating or pleasing or any really. Emotion. It wasn't pleasing. I'll say it was not <laughs> okay, pleasing. Okay, well, all right. Okay. Well, okay. Okay. That, that's a good point, Kyle. Um, but the, the Bucks lose to the Charlotte Hornets, 127, 119. Um, Bud does the uh, sit all starters special. Uh, so he, he, he runs out with the, with all the backups and uh, even so the Charlotte Hornets somehow in comparison, even though they have plenty of injuries uh, looked like a star studded squad in comparison <laughs> to what Bud had out there. Uh, Jordan Moore goes for 24 points, 9 of 16. Jeff Teague has 19 points. Uh, and the Hornets starters all acquit themselves really well. Miles Bridges is the uh, the high man at 26. Hornets shoot 53s. Bucks do a lot of zone. I, I don't know. What, what what did you feel about this game, Kyle, as it wasn't pleasing to your eye? It's just it's hard <laughs> to properly judge these kind of games because Bud's running zone, so I can't even tell if they're defend like how they're defending because they're running zone, so that allows the other team to jack up fifty threes. Out of the ones that did start in this game, let's I mean Bobby Portis, yes, he's been consistently good. He doesn't have a great game. Bryn Forbes, he shot the ball all right, so that that's fine. Jeff Teague again, better than I expected. It's just tough to properly judge because you go with this all bench lineup. You have no clue who's supposed to be the guy. Like against the Knicks, it was Thanasis in this game. It's Jordan Wara. I, I I just don't know how to properly judge this game because of the players that weren't available. It was just it was tough to watch. It, it was clear that the Bucks were not like with the Knicks game. At least the Bucks seem to have gotten enough buckets to keep themselves in this game and in this game they got the buckets but then I don't know it, it was just a very discombobulated type of game where it, it's hard to tell I mean the Hornets also had 35 assists so that ball movement was hurting Milwaukee a bunch so I don't know like when it comes to these all bench games it's really tough to properly judge it because it's mainly it's kind of like summer league where you just give it to a guy and they just try and make something happen. There's not really a flow within the offense and then defensively they're playing zone, so you can't even tell. Like Jordan Wara, good for him for getting all those buckets. I still don't know if he's a good defender because all they do is run zone and he's not great at it. So does that mean he's a terrible defender or does that mean he just cannot play in zone in this modern NBA where teams are able to just chuck up threes? Uh, and that's that's what I was gonna mention just the chucking. Um, I'll be honest, first of all, I did not see much of this game because I was zonked out in bed all of Friday and Saturday. But uh, <clears throat> from what I did see was, uh, you know, what I did see was not good. <laughs> and uh, I think the one point I'll make, and it's, it's tough, again, like Kyle said, it's tough to judge uh, what what like to you know to like how how the bucks are are doing you know in a like a, a larger sample size based on this one uh, isolated game where uh, only what like two or three rotation players actually played <clears throat> but uh, there was a trend in this game that has been following the bucks for a few weeks now uh, and that's just the the sheer volume of threes that they're giving up which was not a problem earlier in the season. Um, we know that the Bucks give up 
a lot of threes. Uh, but <clears throat> as the season began this year, as they were working on you know, integrating new wrinkles into the defense, uh, they were holding teams closer to their average and sometimes even below their average. Um, <clears throat> like, for example, when they when they played Utah, Utah came into that game. Uh, let, let's see. Uh, I'm sorry, not the, the, the second time they played Utah, which was um, several weeks ago. Uh, Utah is one of the I think they uh, lead the NBA in <clears throat> in uh, three point attempts per game. Uh, 42.3 was their number coming into that game and the Bucks held them to 38. Uh, and that's, I think, uh, I think that's about all you can ask for um, <clears throat> when you're the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, and in the last few weeks that the, the amount of threes that they're maybe the last month out the amount of threes that they're giving up to opposing teams uh, has gotten a lot higher. And it's not just in games where they're blowing a team out and, the opponent is just spamming these threes. Like, uh, you know, like I'm looking at some of the numbers right now. Uh, win against Minnesota, that was a 27-point win. Uh, 54 threes from a team that came into the game averaging 35. Um, but uh, the Pacers, which was another blowout, 50 from a team that was averaging 33.9. So you have games like that, which, you know, you kind of just chalk up to like teams trying to get back in the games. But then you have games like the last some of the last several games where uh, like this, this Charlotte game or um, the Knicks game or the Celtics loss a few weeks ago where teams are beating the Bucks. Sometimes they're beating the Bucks uh, like pretty convincingly uh, like I guess Charlotte was, uh, but they're doing so because they're taking lots of threes. They're not making them at a, a really like, crazy rate like they're not having like these outlier nights in terms of their conversion but in terms of the volume they are these are clear outliers for them and i'm not sure why that is yet if that's because of the you know the 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 introduction of the zone that's been going on over the last several weeks um if it's because of uh i mean if it's because of not having like the correct personnel out there uh because of injury like without Giannis or, I mean, you could, uh, PJ Tucker, even though he never really, what, you only play like 40 minutes or something like that over a few games. Um, I, that's, that's just the trend that, that I've seen lately. That is something that, you know, we, we saw a lot of in the last couple of years and the Bucks won lots and lots of those games and they won a lot of those games convincingly, but now that's there, the wins aren't as convincing or they're being beat uh, because of the sheer volume of threes that are going up from the other team. In part, there are other reasons, of course, but that is, I think, something to look at. Well, impressive that you could find um, any sort of data point from this game and extrapolate it out to anything that might be worthwhile <laughs> discussing. So kudos to you for that. The zone, the, the, it's a really interesting observation. The zone is an interesting small working theory we saw in that Clippers game when they went zone for a while I think the Clippers made like four straight threes and yeah. we all know that was really really tough to watch but stuck with it for a while it, you know that as the prevailing theory for why I would be really dubious of given how little they've they've run the zone but that is an interesting uh, interesting little wrinkle to watch yeah yeah I don't know why it is uh, and in that Clippers game they held the Clippers 
under their average. That was the only time in the last hmm. dozen games, uh, more, I'm like 15 games. I, I keep track of all this stuff. Like going back to that Knicks game, which is 15, so the last 15 games, that was the only game in which the Bucks held their opponent to under their average of three-point shot attempts uh, coming into the into the game. Um, and uh, some of those other games, you know, the like teams were taking at least 10 more threes than they usually do. So, Well, credit to you, Kyle, for watching. Did you watch the whole game? I, I got to, like, the third quarter. You can I was like, <laughs> I, No. I got to the third quarter. I was like, I'm done with this. I was starting to watch NWSL, the Women's National Women's Soccer League, get started. That had piqued my interest a lot more. Um, by that point so i was that was on the main tv and the bucks were kind of on my phone where they had like the little square and then i was able to send some tweets but i i did not watch the fourth quarter i couldn't (laughs) well that's that's fair i I only watched a half i feel bad but zora stevenson did become the first buck to call uh first fee excuse me first female to ever call a bucks game as a play-by-play announcer but she did a pretty good job um i will i think she made a smart move of you know, adding a little bit to the action and allowing Marcus to really steer it, just given Marcus is fantastic and, and all that kind of stuff. So kudos to Zora. That was really cool to see. Hopefully we'll get to see more of that in the years ahead. Uh, but moving on, we're going to just touch in on a few topics before we take our ad break. So one thing I want to touch on is Jeff Teague. You talked earlier, Kyle, about how um, your rant about how bio players are, are basically just washed. But so far, Jeff Teague has acquitted himself, I, I would say, about as well as we could have hoped. He's averaging like 8.8 points per game as a buck and se- seemingly seems to have meshed fairly well up to this point. Yeah, I'm pleasantly surprised. I had said we've been chasing this man for 10, 15 years. And what's the point now? He's like, if you're on the buyout, you're probably washed. You're probably not the player that we only know who you are because of your name and how good you were five, 10 years ago. But he's been, he's brought what we expected DJ Augustine to do. I think in terms of having that second ball handler that if you needed to, you can play him next to Drew, having someone off the bench that can initiate offense, having someone that can shoot off the dribble. These are things that Jeff Teague has done, and these are things that I'm happy that he's done pretty well so far. I don't know how far that's going to translate, but you know, if again, if DJ Augustine was doing these kind of things at the beginning of his Buck career, I don't think we would have been as upset with him and kind of disappointed with how his play was. So, good job, Jeff Teague. I hope this continues. I hope this is something that we see, especially in the playoffs. But no, he is not washed. I can. I can confirm that Jeff Teague not washed. Yeah, uh, I I'm a I'm a big I'm, I'm a big fan of what Teague has has brought to this team already. Um, I want to add, like he's you know he's younger than than DJ Augustine. He is he is 32, um, and he could be this could be a little renaissance for him. I mean, ever since leaving Atlanta, uh, he's really kind of, you know, he had a couple years there in Minnesota where um, I think he was starting pretty much that entire time, but, you know, uh, I don't think he was, was he there when Jimmy Butler was there or was that after? I can't remember, but uh, they were not really, they, they were mostly, they were forgettable years for Teague. And um, then he tries to get, he gets in a situation in Boston, which was not really ideal for him. I mean, he's, uh, he was being counted on to replace Kemba Walker, like a, 
a scoring first point guard, um, which Teague has never been. Um, and the team he the, the style of the team that you know he was being uh, just shoehorned into also didn't fit what Teague has historically been good at, which is just uh, you know kind of being a floor general true point guard type. Um, so it's not totally Teague's fault. You know, he, he, he'd been forgotten about, but it probably didn't have much to do with his actual abilities and talent. So he comes to Milwaukee where he is just an instant fit because, uh, I mean, I think it's gotta be because of familiarity with how Bud runs his offenses and runs his, his, his schemes. Um, but I mean, I wasn't expecting anything quite like this. And it's, it, the, I think the greatest thing about it from my perspective is the Bucks finally have gotten a, like, you know, deadline slash buyout mid season acquisition who is, I mean, it's only been a few games, but I, I'm already going to say it. It's worked out because like, let's look at the last. We'll even take it back to the 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 kid slash prunty year. Like their buyout guy that year was Shabazz Muhammad. Like you know, he he he, <laughs> he tried. He, 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 <laughs> yeah, he, he had some big scoring games. Um, then uh, the next year, Bud's first year, uh, they made an acquisition that looked great on paper uh, with Miritich and just did not work in practice. Uh, they also got a buyout guy in Pau Gasol who. Didn't, didn't do anything. Um, and then last year it was, it was Marv Williams and Marvin came into, uh, he had a reputation as a, as a good three point shooter always. And he only shot 30% uh, from deep with the bucks. Um, I don't want to say it, you know, it's not that it didn't work out. Like Marvin Williams was a good productive member of the team as a buyout guy. Um, but he didn't really give them everything that they were hoping for. Whereas I think that Jeff Teague has already kind of done that, uh, even in just a few games. And he, you know, the fact that the Bucks were able to get a rotation player on the buyout market um, this year, when they aren't the like ring chaser destination that they were the last couple years. Um, I think it's a real coup, uh, especially because, you know, he fills a very important role for the team um, because they, you know, they they they, they really needed a, a, a another true point guard on the roster uh, once DJ Augustine was was set packing. But I I really like the addition of Teague so far. Yeah, even in his short stint, he's at, so he's averaging about the same number of minutes. Obviously, five games plus sample size, but he's right at about eighteen minutes, same as he did in Boston. He's already almost doubled his assist per game total from two point one to three point eight in Milwaukee. Uh, I think that that checks with the eye test too. He's 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 been really solid in terms of you know like you like both of you said giving us what we thought Augustine was maybe going to be as a as a, as a sort of floor general, but he never really seemed to grow into that role. And um, I for one am super uh, not missing him driving into the paint and trying to shoot shots at the rim. It's much, much more pleasing to watch Jeff Teague try to do that. Yeah. Teague can actually finish too. He, he's a good driver. Yeah. Um, he's been, that's, that's what's been kind of, I kind of haven't watched. I didn't remember what Jeff Teague's game really is. Um, so I kind of forgot that he's, 
doesn't really shoot threes very much. So it's interesting to watch someone kick out to him and he's kind of open and see a point guard who's just incredibly reticent to shoot a three-pointer. He's only taking 1.4 per game. Um, but his driving, I think, has really been the, you know, the, the, the encouraging part, driving, kicking, and finding other players. He had a really nice pass to Bobby Portis in that Warriors game. Um, I think in the fourth quarter, as Portis was screaming down. And that was – so kudos to him for being able to lead some of those bench crews, including that bench crew at the uh, end of the third quarter of the Mavericks game, which also <laughs> included uh, – that that got the Bucks miraculously <laughs> back into the game. That was one of the honestly one of the highlights of the week. Um, but one of the core players on that group, Kyle, was Thanasis, who I have slandered Thanasis a lot on this podcast. I thought he is. I didn't like the signing. I thought it reeked of nepotism. I didn't like what it said about the organization. I, I sort of landed on that side of it. Um, I feel very wrong right now. Uh, I still don't know if he should be playing any sort of minutes, but to this point, the last couple games, I mean, he's doing stuff that seems semi-useful, which is better than like him doing the stuff that seemed incredibly not useful and detrimental. If he had 10% more talent and didn't have the last name of Adetokounmpo, there would be Bucks fans on Twitter saying he needs to be starting. <laughs> <laughs> that is what we are currently dealing with right now with the Nasus. I also... I understood the signing. I was like, okay, fine. Sign sign him so that Giannis signs Supermax. Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> I don't love it, but if that's what you have, that's what you got to do to keep Giannis. That's what you got to do. He was bad this year. He was bad at the beginning of the year. He fouled a lot, and I think that's the biggest thing that he has improved this year. He has not fouled at the Don Maker rate that he was doing <laughs> at the beginning of the season and in the past. So, kudos to Thanasis. He's taken those opportunities. He's played pretty well. It. It's funny because when the Bucks traded Tory Craig, a lot of people are upset. It's like we traded Tory Craig so that we can play Giannis's brother. I don't know. I honestly, I think Thanasis has done okay. I don't want him on the fo- floor in the playoffs. I don't want him anywhere near the court. But while you're trying to give guys a little bit more of a breather, if you want to give them five to ten minutes to piss off some other team star player, do it. I'm pleasantly surprised. He he gives it his all, and I think that's something that can either annoy the living hell out of your teammates or fire up your teammates. He's doing what he needs to do. Good on him. Like I said, 10% more talent, different last name. No one would be complaining. Don't play him in the playoffs, though, bud. Please don't do that. But good job, Thanasis. Way to, way to cut down on the fouls, because I think that's the biggest difference between him now and him at the beginning of the season. I, I love that analogy. Uh, of the the last name and the the ten percent more talent thing because that's that's right on that's dead on. Um, one thing, uh, I mean, Thanasis in that stretch. I think that lineup was. Let, let me see if I can name it off the top of my head. Uh, Jeff Teague, Pat Connaughton, or Brent Forbes, or was it just Pat Connaughton? Um, Thanasis, Bobby Portis. Is that is that right? Do you remember? I, I know. I'm trying to remember. Jeff Teague was definitely in it. Jeff Teague oh, was in it. Thanasis was definitely in it. I um, think Connaughton was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wrote about it. I'm oh, Dante was the other one. I, Dante was the other guy. I'm pretty sure. Um, he was the he filled the uh, Malcolm yes. Brogdon yeah. Memorial uh, starter in with the with the scrubs yeah. uh, position. Um, 
R.I.P. Malcolm Brent. <laughs> I don't know. I said Memorial, uh, but he was uh, he, he was doing that kind of uh, you know Toluca. He was kind of doing that that Lance Stevenson thing. You know, like <laughs> I thought he was. There was that shot, that that tight shot of him right next to Luca. You know, chirping at him uh, as they were waiting for an inbounds pass. And Thanasis has this you know kind of sneer on his face as he's talking trash and and lucas just very clearly not amused by all of this and and luca we we, both of both of them are emotional guys on the court like luca is definitely the type to you know he 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 argues with the refs a lot he's uh he's a very emotive player uh thanasis is too off you know whether he's on the court or on the bench um but that was really enjoyable to watch in that short spurt because I actually found Thanasis to be like, I thought that was like some of the best defense I've ever seen him play. He was, so he was, you know, he, he was one-on-one. He was man-on-man with Luka Doncic and with, with a a talent like Luka, there's again, uh, there's an element of like, there's only so much you can do. Like this player is so good that, you know, you could play perfect defense against them and they will still make a shot or they will still somehow succeed. Um, so while, you know, Luca wasn't, he, he, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't getting totally stonewalled by, by the Bucks as a team, but Thanasis was not letting that dude pass him. Um, he was just like Thanasis's footwork during those possessions and uh, his just, his his ability to just stay with with Luca, who's of course got these you know these these great these this great footwork and everything like that, uh, was really impressive. Like Luca was not getting to the rim with Thanasis on him. So yeah, uh, the that big shout out to Thanasis for just that that two minute or whatever stretch uh, that somehow got the Bucks up eight points. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was an incredible stretch. Real Bucks fans will always remember that that, <laughs> that brought us back. Uh, the, the, yeah, Thanos is is interesting. I mean, he, he's 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 crazy with his hands. He's he's one of those players that if I was on another team, I would hate the living crap out of him for how annoying he is on the court. Which is kind of nice to have one of those players on our team, uh, I guess, to root for. So I like seeing him find stuff within his role. You know, the dunker spot is basically an ideal role for him because all he has to do is just sprint to the basket when there's an opening and dunk it or whatever. So that's been nice to see. So kudos to Thanasis for for stepping up a little bit more lately. Um, last thing I wanted to talk about was Mitchell Maurer wrote a, a good piece on this on the site, Brew Hoop. Go ahead and, and read that about how he's he, he's sort of come to terms with the idea that the Bucks are, are going to get potentially get the three seed. And he's okay with that. He's all right with that. Because he thinks, you know, eventually the Bucks are going to have to face on one of these bigger teams regardless. So he's not going to worry as much about grappling for that one seed, which we've, of course, had to deal with with, you know, Giannis sitting out these last couple of games, but sitting as starters, that can definitely be frustrating. But, you know, he's sort of come to terms with the idea of the Bucks getting the three seed and having to work through that. You know, I was curious about your take on that, Kyle. Um, you know, where you're at in terms of that, that idea of, of playoff seating and, and growing comfortable with where the Bucks might be. I think, I mean, I, Milwaukee is, it's between Milwaukee, Brooklyn, and Philly in the top three teams in the East. So the fact that the Bucks are still in that top three 
I think it's fine to be okay if the Bucks end up as a three seed. You see what Brooklyn's doing. You see what Philly's doing. You, I, I think it's one of those where you can accept it, but obviously you want them to try and finish higher, ideally. I, I think that's where I'm at. It's If the Bucks end up as a three seed, okay, that's totally fine. Is what it is. Don't have a problem with it. But if you can get that one or two seed, they should still try and go for that. I mean, there's definitely some games where, like in the Hornets game, you just went on a long road trip. You ha- you had you had played a game the night before. You get on a plane, get to Milwaukee. I'm sure those players were exhausted. Okay, fine. Do your rest week then. That's that is okay. I have no problem with that. Obviously, other games where it could have impact on seeding, or maybe it's a tougher game that play the starters still go for it then so i have no problem with the three seed you're gonna have to be one of philly or brooklyn to have gotten to the finals anyway and right now milwaukee is i think based off the standings i think they would either face the hornets heat or knicks i don't know heat right now and that's and i don't know how the playing game factors into it so at this point finish as get to the season as high as you can as healthy as you can and you figure it out from there. I had come to terms a while ago with the idea that the bucks were going to need to make it through. If they wanted to make the finals, they were going to need to make it through both Philly and Brooklyn. Um, Just like it became clear several weeks ago as the Celtics really began to struggle. um, And also like, you know, teams like, like the Raptors who you were maybe expecting to, make that move up in the standings from like a low playoff seed actually went the other direction. Um, So we have a clear top three in the, in the, in the East. Um, First of all, huge. It's, it's a bummer that uh, when the bucks, what they had won like 16 of 20 games or something like that. And they picked up at most, I think the closest they got to the top seed was maybe a game and a half or two games. Uh, and that was with um, Joel Embiid hurt, with uh, Kevin Durant hurt, um, and I'm sure Kyrie Irving was missing some games within that that stretch too. Um, but it's, I think I was actually I was I was pretty cool actually. I was with the Bucks being facing Philly in the second round because I think the Bucks match up really well with Philly. Uh, I do not I know they're they're improved this year and you know they have Seth Curry who the Bucks will really have to worry about in a seven game series. Um they obviously have Joel Embiid who's had some great games against the Bucks over the years. Um Tobias Harris is having a career year. Uh it's it's a good team, but I think the Bucks are just better. Um I think the Bucks have the uh, I mean they have the the third and fourth best players. Well, at least the third in that series. And like, I think that, you know, that, that drew holiday and, and Chris Middleton will be better in a playoff series than, than Ben Simmons. Uh, just because we've seen in the past, Ben Simmons is really not a, an effective player in the postseason uh, based on his limitations. So, I was, I had come to terms with, you know, Philly, like I always assumed Brooklyn would make that, that run to the top and they, they're tied for it right now. And 
we'll see what happens in the next several weeks. But the Bucks are three and a half games back. Um, they're playing these back to get backs against Brooklyn and, and Philadelphia in the coming month. Um, hopefully, you know the the Bucks will be healthy by then. And uh, the the Bucks, you know, the, they they don't match up. They don't match up that well with Brooklyn, but like no team really does because they they have two of the best scorers of the generation. Uh, but I think the, the, the whole, the whole thing with me, I think in the last few months has been just avoid playing Brooklyn in the second round. Um, just try to make that matchup uh, a conference finals matchup, um, which is, I think, I, I think that's a, that would be a pretty good outcome for the bucks given the state of the, the East this year. Um, and right now, if they, if they did finish in the three seed, I, I mean, the, the, the only difference between that and two seed is just the home court advantage in the second round, assuming that whoever the second seed is doesn't lose to, you know, like the, the seven or whoever comes in off of the play-in. Um, first round matchup, if right now it would be the Heat. Uh, I think the Heat are another team that everyone kind of expected to make a, a big upward move in the standings in the second half of the season. That hasn't come yet. Uh, now Victor Oladipo's injured. Uh, I still think, though, that they'll probably be one of those that the like the four or the five, and they will have to deal with Brooklyn in the second round. Which, like the the Heat, I think will will. I, I mean, if it's like the Heat versus Charlotte or the Heat versus Atlanta in that first round, I think the Heat will win, and then hopefully the. The, that team, the the Heat would give the the Nets all they could handle, and the Bucks take care of business versus versus Philly. Um, that's kind of that's kind of the idealized way I see the first two rounds of the playoffs going. Uh, and whether that's as the two or the three seed, I don't know. I mean, Philly has always been really good at home over the last few years, but uh, obviously, like home court advantage didn't exist uh, in the bubble. And the, the Bucks didn't get to use the home court advantage that they had achieved. Um, so <laughs> uh, I, I wish they could just, you know, have rolled that over to this year or something like year they could actually use it. Um, so I don't know whether it would affect them going into Philadelphia. I don't know what the status of Philadelphia's arena is in regards to the fans. And I don't know what it'll be like come, you know, June or so. Um, same with Milwaukee. Uh, like Milwaukee may still only have a few thousand fans there. Uh, so when, when, when road environments become really hostile in the playoffs, like it's, it's because of fans, of course, but then you also have the travel aspect of it and neither of which you had to deal with last year in the bubble. Um, so it, you know, these, these can hurt teams. These can help teams. I, don't know. I, I think the only thing you have to worry about this year is is the travel aspect of it. I, I think so. That maybe works. Maybe works. Uh, I, I don't know if it works in any team's favor in, in when when there's home core advantage uh, on the like when when in terms of home core advantage, like which team has four games at their home arena, which has three. But um, I don't know. I mean, like. Teams win without home court advantage all the time. The Raptors in 2019, unfortunately. I mean, <laughs> so 
if if it's three, all right, fine. I'm I'm cool with it. If it's two, I think that's great. I mean, if it's one, obviously that's great. But uh, I mean, either way, they're I, I'm I'm positive that they're going to have to play both Philadelphia and Brooklyn this year. If they don't, that would be like a huge, huge victory. But I don't see it happening. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at too. If at some point they're going to need to beat the best teams, they need to prove that they're better than the best teams. So might as well be this year. All right, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side of this, we'll do our miscellaneous topics close out. So stay tuned. All right, we're back. Kyle, you got a film review. Yeah, so <clears throat> I finally got around to Coming to America. Well, okay, I watched Coming to America like the night it came out or the night after. But because of High School Musical, we had we had to prioritize High School Musical <laughs> trilogy first and foremost. Um <sighs> I am torn on coming to America one because I was already skeptical going into it. It's kind of one of those where it's like, we, we didn't need to do this. It had been so much time had passed where this movie wasn't like, who was the target for this movie? Was it like the ones that have seen this movie before? Was it to like draw in a new audience? I don't know. I also don't like how the main plot, like why the main plot is what it is. I'm not going to go into spoilers. It's just, it was a situation. (laughs) It's a situation where I don't it, I don't think it was something that you'd joke around about. That's what I'll say about that. So how the main plot comes about to make a joke out of it, I'm not a fan of it. I mean, it was very it was visually really, really good. It had some good lines in it. I, I think the the characters themselves they brought back some of the classics. They brought back, you know, they brought back the barbers. That was always good. They brought back the church. That was it was kind of nice. There were some nice throwbacks into it. There were some nice digs on how certain parts of New York City are gentrified. It, it had some good moments, but I still can't just shake that. So I'll I'll give it a five out of ten. Again, visually, very very good. It it was there was some good nostalgia, but and it, it's kind of hard for me to be full. It was kind of hard for me to be fully into it, uh, both because I did I wasn't. It's kind of like with Space Jam too. I don't know if I like it's not necessary. We could have just left it alone and the plot kind of irked me a little. So five out of 10. I wasn't expecting you to make the like the inference that coming to America, like the sequel had a really heavy, hard hitting plot. It sounds like it's not. Again, like, I haven't seen it, but like just doesn't it's like you they, they made light. It sounds like they made light of something just terrible. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of one of those where it's like, if it if it was reversed, like the roles were reversed, this it would have been canceled. Let's just call it that. <laughs> okay. If the roles were reversed in that situation, that movie would have gotten canceled. But that's all. Right, all I, that's what I'll say. All right, I I should watch this. I watched the original not too long ago, just for fun. Yeah, the original's a classic. The original's great. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I was looking back at some of the cast, like. A lot of them, like James Earl Jones is 90, I think. Got to protect that man at all costs. Oh, yeah. Amazing voice. So coming to America, 5.0 out of 10. Potentially troubling opening, uh, problematic. <laughs> but check it out if you're a fan of the uh, if you're a fan of the original. Does that sound right, Kyle? If you want to watch, I guess if you are going with the expectation that's not going to be better than the original, fine. Like, don't go in with high expectations. That's what I'll say. And it is on Amazon Prime, for those that are wondering where to find it. 
Wonderful. All right, let's move on to our uh, our game predictions, I guess, for the next week. All right, four games coming up. Bucks are back on a road trip Sunday night at the Orlando Magic, two days off, and then they face the T-Wolves. And then on Thursday night, they are at the Atlanta Hawks, close the week out this Saturday home game against the Memphis Grizzlies. Kyle, how are you feeling about this week record-wise? I'll go two and two just because I don't know how long Giannis is sitting. We know he's doubtful for the Magic game. I still think they should handle their business there. T-Wolves, not that great. They should still handle their business there. Atlanta and Memphis are kind of like the does bud. Oh, and Atlanta's the second game on a back-to-back. So I'm expecting a rust day for the likes of Chris and Dante and Drew and Brooke. I'm expecting that to be kind of a bench-heavy lineup. So I'll go two and two. They win against the Magic. They win against the Teals, but fall short against the Hawks and Grizzlies. I think this is the week that get things back on track a bit, um, starting with this matchup today. Uh, it's the magic. Um, sounds like outside of Giannis and, and Tucker, uh, everyone will play. Um, and the magic are, who's on the magic now? Terrence Ross. uh uh, Cole Anthony, um, yeah, Mo <laughs> Wendell Bamba, Carter, Wendell Carter, um, Michael Carter Williams is starting. MCW is on there. That's right. Yeah, uh, there's like they even like I, I, I'm thinking of like all the Orlando Magic players I know, and like one guy I was about to say was Ken Birch, and he was cut a few days ago. He's now a, a Raptor. Uh, so, yeah, who <laughs> I, I I think I think the Bucks will be fine. Um, I think th- I think three and one as well go with. Uh, with the loss being on the second game of the back-to-back uh, in Atlanta. Um, I I would hope that one of Giannis and Tucker are back by the end of the week um, because they it, it, it seems like at this point the Bucks are just being cautious with those guys. Like, uh, P.J. Tucker traveled with them on the, the West Coast road trip. Uh, he was in street clothes all the time, but he is not in like a – you know, he's not in a cast. He's not in a walking boot or anything like that. Uh, he's just old. <laughs> so they're being careful. Giannis, obviously, they're being very careful with. Um, but outside of Atlanta, which seems like, you know, like it would just be one of those trap games regardless. Um, I think I, I think the Bucks will get three W's this week. I like it. I think I'll go three and one, too. I think that Atlanta game will be tough. Um, they've been playing pretty well lately, back-to-back, like both of you already said. Memphis always plays us tough, so uh, I could see a loss there, but I think I think Giannis will be back for that one, and they'll be able to pull it out. So I'll go three and one. I think they match up pretty well with Memphis usually, um, especially without Jaron Jackson. Yeah, so. that is true. God, he's been out almost the whole year. I know, he's um, on my fantasy team. <laughs> <laughs> I had to drop him. I had to drop him. <laughs> I'm saving that. I've got four injury spots. I'm I'm, I'm saving him on the IL until, you know. Oh, see, we didn't have the last spot, week. so that's why. <laughs> oh, that stinks. We've got four of them. <laughs> and I've had to use all of them at the same time for most of the year. Weird year. Weird year. Hopefully it's not as weird of a week for the Bucks as it was last week. Let's get some Ws, but... We're going to call it on this episode. Go to brewhoop.com for all of our coverage. Van has a great Bucks progress report that he does every Friday. You definitely want to check that out. And um, obviously go there for all of our other coverage. Read Mitchell's piece that he put up there. Share the podcast with everyone. Follow us on on Twitter uh, where Kyle is at the helm. So thank you to everyone for listening. 
and we'll talk to you again soon.